how the Dodgers can get back into this series and win game two. Who will start games three and four? We're going to break down Clayton Kershaw's nightmare outing in game one. That's coming up next here on Dodgers Dugout Live. But welcome to another episode of Dodgers Dugout Live as we continue to break down the Dodgers nightmare game one. They get blown. Now I'm going to tell you why that the blowout could ultimately help them later in this series. And we're going to talk about Kershaw's outing, his postseason history. Can he still help this Dodgers team? Can he get back on track? What is going on with that Dodgers offense? Has that layoff in between the end of the regular season, the NLDS impacted them? But let's take some of these comments because we're going to dive right into it because I know that was a very, very tough game to watch. Felt like I, it was a nightmare. I woke up from a nightmare saying, oh, man, did the Dodgers get blown out 11-2? to Did Clayton Kershaw have the worst start of his postseason career? No, that was the reality. It was a massive wake-up call for this Dodgers team, a shock to the system. And look, the reality is right now that they need to escape and win this series just to avoid embarrassment, just to avoid a second year where you lose to the second place team in the NOS, a team that had won less than 90 games. That can't happen two years in a row. I don't care how decimated your pitching staff is. I don't care what happened off the field. The Dodgers are still the most talented team on paper. If both of these teams play to their capabilities, the Dodgers should win this series. And I do think they absolutely still can. But before we get into it, Let's take some of these comments, guys. Welcome to the show. We got Gary Glenn. If they don't wake up, they're done. Eric Ayala could watch the game, bro. We got BC. Go Dodgers. If they lose today, they might as well not show up for game three. Look, I'm not a believer in must-win games. Yeah, this is as close as you could possibly get to a must-win, but you it's only a must-win to me when mathematically you can't win that game anymore. So I don't necessarily buy into that, but yeah, you put yourself up against the wall if you don't win tonight. They have to do it with Bobby Miller on the mound. We're going to talk about his start, what to expect from Bobby Miller. I talked to him a few days ago, and this is someone who is ready for this moment. This is someone who everyone you talk to, you ask them about Bobby Miller, they'll tell you that he elevates his game the bigger the stage, the brighter the lights. I think that he's been looking forward to this moment for a long time. He wants to pitch in a World Series, but before you pitch in a World Series, you got to pitch in a postseason game, and he'll get that opportunity tonight going up against Zach Gown. But a couple more here. We'll dive right into this first topic. We've got Frank H., DMAC for Dodgers manager. Hey, that might be a jumping off point right there because if I was the manager, you guys know, I said let's start Bobby Miller in game one. I think that it puts the Dodgers in a better position to win that game. And also, now you really have your season possibly on the line with Bobby Miller in game two. Lots of pressure at Malty. But let's dive into this start because, look, there's no way to slice it. This was a nightmare outing. This was a terrible outcome for Clayton Kershaw. And, look, he's the first starting pitcher in baseball history to allow five hits and five runs before recording out. This was an absolute nightmare. There's no way to slice it. He allowed six hits, three run home run to Moreno, three doubles, a walk in the eight batters that he faced. He was pulled with just one out in the first inning. That's the shortest start of his 16 year career. We're talking about 454 career starts. The six runs allowed are the most ever by a Dodgers pitcher in a postseason appearance for one inning or less. The six runs allowed equaled, Chuck Churn, who recorded just two outs in the third inning in relief in game one of the 1959 World Series. So if you want a Mitchell to have full take right off the top here in that same game, Chuck Churn, that's quite a name right there. He ends up losing that game. He gets blown out. But guess what? The Dodgers, they lost that game 11 to nothing. Dodgers on Saturday, they lost 11 to two. Well, hey, that, that Dodgers team went on to beat the White Sox in that series and route to their first championship here in Los Angeles. So yeah, make no mistake about it. It was a nightmare performance for Clayton Kershaw. That ERA sits at an ungodly 162. But the question is, why was it bad? What was different <clears throat> from what we saw in the regular season when he returned from the injury to last night? What was the approach from this Arizona Diamondbacks team? And the big question here is, can he still help this team? Because look, even if Kirsch started game two, which he did last year, the Dodgers lost game two to the Padres. He allows three runs and five innings of work. Dodgers end up going on to lose that game. They lose the series. So, hey, the way you can look at it is if Kirsch starts game two and they lose that, then the Diamondbacks win game two and get some momentum heading back to Arizona. So either way, there was really no universe based on the options that the Dodgers have where Kirsch wasn't 
going to have to have some type of impact. They needed something out of Clay and Kershaw to make a deep postseason run, whether that's three or four innings every four or five days. Yeah, that's something you will take at this point. You're not expecting the old Clay and Kershaw, right? Peak performance Kershaw. That was never on the table. That was never a possibility, but you needed something out of him. And for him to be effective, he's going to have to make some key adjustments right away. And the first thing you look at with Clay and Kershaw was their approach. And they were very aggressive. They came out there and they were swinging at essentially every single pitch. Let's break this outing down batter for batter to let you know exactly how things went. Because look, the thing you know about Clay and Kershaw and what has made him so effective for so many years, what's made him a first bout Hall of Famer, a three-time Cy Young Award winner and MVP is that he pounds the zone. He likes to work ahead in the count. And you do that by throwing strikes and more specifically first pitch strikes. And Kershaw is always going to do that. But when your stuff isn't as good and it is diminished and you don't have margin for error because you're averaging 90.4 miles per hour on the fastball, the slider doesn't have the depth and the bite to it. You don't have the feel for that curveball. You're throwing cement mixer curveballs. Well, guess what? Big league teams that have talent are going to make you pay. They're all going to punish pitches like that. And it started right off the bat. Marte, he swung at the first pitch, was a fastball. He fouled it off. Second pitch was a curveball, and it was a hanging curveball, and he hits a double. Now, James Altman, there's no doubt about it. James Altman misread that. He was a little too aggressive. He goes in, tries to make a play, and the ball hit right off the heel of his glove, bouncing the outfield. And if he gets that first out, Maybe things are different, but when you look at the hard contact from this Diamondbacks team, averaging over 96 miles per hour exit velo, the Marte double right there was 115.7 miles per hour off the bat. It had an expected batting average of 830. Okay, so even though it wasn't ruled an error, and Outman said after the game that he should have made the play, and he said that nerves were getting to, into him a little bit. He said it felt like jumping into a cold pool. So. Yeah, nerves were a factor. That's a play we've seen James Altman make. That's a play we would have seen Cody Bellinger make. There's no doubt about that. But still, it was such a hard hit ball that I think it threw him off a little bit there. And that inning just felt inevitable. And that was definitely not the start you would have hoped for for Kirsch or James Altman. But next batter with Marte at second, Carroll swung at the first pitch. He fouled off a fastball. Next pitch slider, Kirsch misses his spot badly. They wanted it low and away. It was up. And he gets a base hit. The next batter, Tommy Pham, first pitch swing and miss at a fastball. Middle, middle, 90 miles per hour. Second pitch fastball, inner half. He fouls that off, makes it 0-2. Now the 0-2, Pham gets a base hit to left. Slider down and in. He didn't miss his spot. Not a terrible pitch there to Tommy Pham, but it just did not have the depth or bite. That makes it one to nothing dying back. So three straight hits, all hard contact, all swings on every single pitch. Okay, so... They were not afraid of Clay and Kershaw. And the next batter, Walker, with runners on first and second, he had a slider down and in, swing and miss. Good pitch right there, probably his best pitch of the night. The next pitch, he misses with a fastball down the dirt. And like I said, they swung at the first eight pitches. The first pitch they took was on the ninth pitch, and it was a non-competitive pitch. Then later there in the at-bat, he goes with a curveball down the zone. Walker, he doubles to left to make it two to nothing. So now you're down two nothing. You got runners on second and third and first pitch to Moreno. He fouls off the heater. So you saw he was not able to get swing and miss. And he wasn't working on the edges as well. When Kirsch is effective, he's going to be working on the edges, working on the black, getting some chase right out of the zone. Because for him to go out there and perform at this age, at this stage of his career, it's all about the tunneling. Okay, you have to tunnel the fastball with the slider. The batter has to think it's a fastball, but at the very end, it's a slider that falls off the table, but he wasn't able to accomplish that. And then a few pitches later, 3-2 count, Moreno, he crushes a three-run shot to left. It was a slider down and in. He left it belt high. So Will Smith was looking for a slider down and in, and he leaves it belt high. You just can't leave that slider up in that situation because Moreno's going to crush it. He made it 5-0 before the Dodgers had even recorded an out. And then Guriel, he gets him to ground it short for the first out. Even that ground out there was high exit velocity. Go on to walk Thomas. And first pitch to Longoria, fastball, middle, middle. He crushes it for a double. So all of this is to show you 
what to look for next time Clayton Kershaw's on the mound. Look for how aggressive the team is because if they're swinging on every single pitch, that tells you they're not respecting the fastball. They're not respecting the slider. They're going out there and they're trying to ambush. Now, when you're peak Clayton Kershaw and you're throwing 93, 94, 95 miles per hour, you're locating, you have great command and you have a nasty slider, you can get away with it. But now at this point, Kirsch, he's going to war with butter knives, right? He's not going to war against two knives, right? He's going to war with butter knives and teams are going to make him pay. So that's how you know when Kirsch is struggling. Now, Kershaw said it himself, it's about adapt or die, right? And he's not going to overpower anyone with his fastball at this stage of his career. Only way to be effective, like I said, he has to generate swing and miss with his slider. He wasn't doing that. He has to tunnel well, wasn't doing that. And they were hitting the ball very hard. Now, I've seen a lot of people out there that are saying, well, DMAC, what if Austin Barnes was catching Clayton Kershaw, right? That's his go-to catcher. What if it was Barnesy behind the dish? Would it have made a big difference? No, it would not. Was Will Smith behind the dish throwing his fingers down, asking for fastballs right over the plate? Was he asking for flat sliders? Was he going out there say, Kirsch, hey man, throw some very hittable pitches and let's have these guys hit it hard. No, Will Smith wasn't doing that, right? And also, you combine the fact that Will Smith was one of the only Dodgers that showed up offensively. They need Will Smith's bat. Will Smith, you guys saw, he was my MVP heading into this series. I said he would have been the best player for the Dodgers. So far, he's been just that at the plate. He was really responsible for the only offense that they had on the night. And you look at those exit velocity numbers, they were terrible on the night. So it would not have made a big difference. Next question I've received, hey, DMAC, is he tipping his pitches? What For what? Who cares? I mean, tipping his pitches, these are big league hitters, talented. Marte, Corbin Carroll, Moreno's been hot. I mean, Christian Walker, five home runs against Clayton Kershaw in his career. They don't need to have tipped pitches for them to have success when you're throwing 90 mile per hour batting practice fastballs. They just don't. So that I don't think was a factor at all as well. So the reality is he had a nightmare start. He was bad. It was historically bad. And look, the good news here, here's the Mitch lot of half full. And like I said, through 35 pitches, they swung at 24 of them, 24. That's how aggressive they were against Clayton Kershaw. Here's the good news through just 35 pitches. So if he does go in game four, which is currently the plan, he's hopefully going to be fresh and have something left in the tank for that game. And on top of that, you didn't use your high leverage relievers. You didn't go out there and use Evan Phillips and Bruce Argraderall and Joe Kelly and Ryan Brazier. The best reliever you used was Shelby Miller, and he goes too scoreless. So you have a complement of relievers at your disposal. I think a worst case scenario would have been if Clayton Kershaw went five innings, grinded out, gave up three or four runs. This offense put up four or five runs, and then a reliever gave up a big hit late like a Evan Phillips or Bruce Argraderall, and you use high leverage guys and they win in a close one. That to me would have been the worst case scenario. I'll take 11 to two in a blowout where I have all my relievers, where I have Clay and Kershaw only have thrown 35 pitches. He can't pitch any worse, right? It's only up from here, right? I'll take that option versus losing a close one. So to me, I think, yeah, you got to flush it and it feels bad, but let's not forget a loss is a loss. Doesn't matter if it's by 5,000 runs, 6,000 runs, 8,000 runs. Doesn't matter what it is. A loss is a loss. And I still think this puts the Dodgers in a good position to come back tonight, win with Bobby Miller on the mound, get this offense going and get some momentum heading into game three in Arizona. Now, as far as Clayton Kershaw's postseason reputation, as far as the narrative behind Clay and Kershaw that we know that there were people out there that were waiting to jump on this. They're waiting to say choke Shaw and post the memes and say that this guy can't handle the lights of the postseason. And look, the reality is his ERA in the postseason, it jumped from 422 to 449 in 194 and a thirds innings. It's two runs higher than his regular season ERA. That's how Big of a difference, his postseason performances to his regular season performance. There is no doubting that. You guys know that. I bring my facts to the fight, okay? I'm not going to deny you that. I mean, the regular season ERA, 248. Best of the modern era. Postseason ERA, 449. That is the worst ERA of any pitcher in Major League history with more than 100 innings of work. There is no denying that. I am not going to completely get into the weeds on his postseason history because I still think that we'll have plenty of time the offseason to get into that. If you want to do that, I'm not going to write Clayton Kershaw's obituary as well. I still think that he can come back and pitch well. 
But I will say that if you're someone out there that's trying to use this start to point add to the pile of bad starts in his postseason career, I think, look, the reality is it doesn't look like he's at 100%. It does look like he's still dealing with the effects of the shoulder. Now, whether that be, whether that be velocity wise, because it's not hit in the velocity, the velocity is somewhat consistent. It's only down lightly compared to what we saw early in the season, hovering right around 90 miles per hour. But I think from a, a delivery standpoint, a mechanic standpoint, you're seeing him struggle to keep that ball low, to keep that slider and fastball at the bottom of the zone. And Kershaw, he talked after the game about his start and his health heading into game four. And if he can still help this team, and here's what he had to say. No, no. You know what? I, I thought tonight, if you look at the stuff, um, the velocity, um, I thought, you know, you didn't get too much of a look at him, but I thought the stuff was good. You know, it just some mistakes that they capitalized on. No, no, it doesn't. I, I think that if you look at it, um, he's going to pitch game four. And so um, that's kind of, I'm sure that's where his head's at. So that was Dave Roberts. We'll talk, we'll go into the Kershaw one in just a second here, but just to kind of get back to what Dave Roberts is saying there, he thought this stuff looked good. He did make some okay pitches on the edges, but the reality is this stuff did not look great. I mean, if you look at his numbers, as far as stuff plus, which is a really great metric that measures how a pitcher's stuff is looking as far as swing and miss, as far as everything that is involved when it comes to effectiveness earlier in the season, Kirsch before the injury had a stuff plus of 108. League average is 100. He was at 108. Since he's returned in early August, that stuff plus is down to 83. So his stuff plus has been below e league average by 17%. Also, if you look at the FIP, so he had a 223 ERA, which, okay, you look at the results, you like 223, right? But still, the 223 ERA came with a 540 FIP a 431 expected fit in a 193 batting average on balls in place. So that tells you that he was due for a bad outing. The red flags were there. If you don't know what FIP is, just so you know, to me, I throw ERA out of the way. ERA is a results-based statistic, right? I think ERA is a little old fashioned. Meyer league teams, I'm telling you, they're not using ERA. Meyer league scouts, the analytics department, they're not really looking at ERA. I'm just being honest with you. They're looking at FIP. And FIP is something that focuses solely on the events a pitcher has the most control over. That strikeouts, walks, hits by pitches, and home runs. It entirely removes results on balls hit into the field of play. Think of it as what the pitcher's ERA should be if the defense behind him turned batted balls into outs at a major league average rate. So that tells you right there that FIP was extremely high. Just for comparison's sake, Bobby Miller, his ERA and FIP, they're around the same. When you're FIP and your ERA around the same, that's something that you can consider. That is when you know that the pitcher is performing at face value. That wasn't the case for Clayton Kershaw. So to me, it feels like this organization felt like, okay, we'll throw Kershaw in game one. Let's see what we have in him because we have to pitch him regardless. And then we also know in game two, you have Bobby Miller and hopefully he can save the day. But yeah, the red flags were there. Anyone acting like, they're completely shocked. If he just tells me you haven't seen Kershaw since he's been back, there's been too many loud outs, too much hard contact that we saw against the giants and the Seattle Mariners. To me, this is something that doesn't surprise me too much. And yeah, I'm not going to totally get into his postseason history. The reality is I'll kind of give you a little bit in that it's complicated. It's really complicated. He's had some great starts and world series game one. 2013 against the Braves in the DS. He's had great starts. There's, there are a plenty, but it's also complicated. He's been used on short rests, right? He has been someone who was in a cheating scandal, right? Game five, he was cruising until he wasn't. And the Dodgers go on to win that series. There's a world where he wins the world series MVP. And then this narrative is put to rest. Also, he was used out of the bullpen in 2019 when he shouldn't have. So he's been misused. He's been cheated. He's also not come through. I mean, there's nothing you can say about 2013 against the Cardinals, 2014 against the Cardinals, Matt Carpenter. He has blown leads. There's no doubt about it. And the reality is in the regular season, he's one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher to ever do it in the postseason, He is right in the middle. He's just average to above average. He is not elite, right? We know legends there. Of course they're made in the postseason. He's had his moments. He definitely has no doubt about it. But he has definitely struggled. And a few days ago, Kirsch talked about how 
he had a fear of failure, how the nerves bothered him at this stage of his career. He says that it's more about the nerves creating excitement. So hopefully he has his day, but it's going to be tough to change the narrative and perception for anyone that kind of has that preconceived. Okay. Kershaw's a choke artist in the postseason, that sort of thing. If you feel that way, it's not going to change your mind, right? Nothing that he's going to be able to do at this stage, but I still think that he's had some really, really nice starts. Saw the world series game one in 2020. You've seen him come through very, very at times where he's really, he has it, but when he doesn't, it really falls off a cliff. I think Don Malley didn't do him any service, any uh, favors too back in the day as well. But yeah, kind of diving into game four, what are their options now? Let's, let's talk about game four because game four is where you'll probably see Clayton Kershaw back. If the Dodgers win another game in this series, which you need, right? And if you're going to throw Kershaw out there, he's a 391 ERA at chase field. And at that point, you're hoping there's more momentum for this Dodgers offense. that can provide him some run support, right? And that's another thing too. Kershaw has not received run support in his career in the postseason. combined. They're averaging less than four runs per game, 3.3 runs in his start as a postseason pitcher. Only eight of his 32 postseason starts has he gotten five runs or more when he's left that game. So he's had very minimal run support. Also, bullpen guys coming in there have not have not saved the day for him and been able to pitch well with inherited runners. In fact, if you if you took all of Kershaw's inherited runners throughout his career and turned those into outs, he would have a 3.49 ERA. So like I said, it's very complicated. We'll have an entire off season to get into it. But what you need to know is, yeah, the reality is he's about average to a little above average in the postseason for his career. Now, game four, I think that that's really the only move that you can go with. I think game three, you have the option of a Ryan Pepe or a Lance Lynn or a combination of both those guys. I don't think that there's a situation where you want to go five innings of Lance Lynn and just go right to your bullpen. I think it's a situation where you could either see both of them, right? Or there's a situation where you go with just Lance Lynn bullpen, just Ryan Pepe bullpen, and you only use Lance Lynn later if you need to in a different game. So they do have some options. Another option that I think is an interesting possibility is look, Caleb Ferguson, Alex Vesia. You're probably not going to have at least one of those guys for the next series. If you advance the NLCS. So if you send someone to the IL, the rule is that player can't be made available for the following series. So let's say you're not going to have Ferguson for the NLCS. You could theoretically send him down Call up Ryan Yarbrough, a guy that you can get multiple innings out of and kind of go that direction. That's another option that you could have. So they do have some options, but the most important thing is, look, the reality is you need Kurz to perform at some point during this postseason because they're not rife with pitching talent. They're really devoid of pitching debt when it comes to starting pitching. But here was Clayton Kershaw after the game talking about his start and how disappointed he was out there on the mound. Oh, just, yeah, just disappointing, uh, embarrassing. You know, I think... Uh... I just feel like you let everybody down, you know, guys, whole organization that uh, look to you to, you know, pitch well in game one. And, um, yeah, it's just it's just embarrassing, really. So I, I just feel like I let everybody down. And um, it's a tough way to start the postseason. You know, obviously we still have a chance at this thing. But um, that was, yeah, that wasn't the way it was going to, should have started for me. Yeah, I mean, I obviously didn't make some great pitches and then sometimes I thought I did make some good ones and they hit them too so um you know it's just it's, I don't know what else to say it's just tough yeah I feel fine yeah I feel fine I just yeah didn't make didn't make enough good pitches obviously tonight so there's nothing health related here just bad pitching look I mean there's no no excuses for that you know so um regardless of you know anything that happened out there I just I have to be better like that's it's just not acceptable so you got to give him a lot of credit there. Lots of accountability. He does say there that he feels fine, that he is fine. Now I think it's to what degree is he 100% healthy? I don't think there's any way that's possible. I think the shoulder injury is absolutely impacting him on the mound as far as mechanics go. And I think that's what you need to see from him is improvement as far as the command, as far as his ability to keep it down in the zone and hit his spots. I will say though, I see people out there that are saying that, okay, Dave Roberts, this Dave Roberts, that is this Dave Roberts fault. He pitched a third of an inning. 
Okay. It's not a situation where he was out there in the third or the fourth inning and he was leaving him out there too long. He gave him the hook essentially after he needed to. Okay. Anytime you don't have it that early in the start, there's really nothing you can do. And I don't think anyone out there expected it to be this bad. Even a career 449 ERA in the postseason, it's around three, well, over three runs per start in a six inning stretch, right? If you had gotten a start from Clayton Kershaw where you gave up three runs, maybe four runs. And this offense was able to get to Merrill Kelly, a guy who had gone 0 in 11 against his Dodgers team with an ERA of 549 in his career. Then that is the path to a win. So I think the reason why you had Kershaw in game one was to match him up with Merrill Kelly because they felt confident about the offense against Kelly and Kershaw's ability to, at the very least, allow three or four runs. And if James Altman catches that ball, maybe that inning doesn't go south as quickly as it does. And there's a universe where Kersh does pitch three or four innings of three or four run ball. And you would have lived with that. Now that's not the result that happened in hindsight. That's going to be different. I know the hindsight hyenas are out there. They're questioning every move and look rightfully. So I understand it after the fact, but in the moment you really can't, can't act like anyone thought that something historically as bad as it did was going to occur. Now what's happened has happened. And I agree. It was a tough watch. I think what makes it so complicated is we all love Clayton Kershaw. You guys know, I'm a devout Christian, I'm a believer in Christianity, all that good stuff. But the reality is we love this guy so much for what he's done for this franchise. And we know that it's not for lack of effort. It's not for lack of preparation. This guy has emptied the tank for this organization. It's just a matter of, he just doesn't have it. Okay. Father of time is undefeated. We understand that. And at this point he's on his last legs. He is a shell of himself. To me, he almost felt like a boxer out there. There was just taking a beating late in his career, taking jabs, taking hooks, and he almost needs someone to go throw in the towel for him. And that person was Dave Roberts. It happened early. And hopefully Kirsch can get back on track if he gets another opportunity in game four, because that would be one of the most tragic ways for a most tragic ways for a baseball player to end his career. That's a pure Greek tragedy there. If that's the last time we see Clayton Kershaw out there on the mound. And I think if you look at his career, it's too early to unpack everything. I'll have an entire off season to do that. I do feel like he's the Aaron Rodgers of major league baseball, Aaron Rodgers, the best QBR of all time. Someone undeniable arm talent, regular season, He's incredible, has had some great moments in the postseason, but it's he's a different player, right? I think the regular season version of Clayton Kershaw, no doubt about it, he's at the table with the greats. The postseason Clayton Kershaw, he's just not. I mean, this look, if you guys want a show that's trying to just paint everything in the Dodger blue color glasses, I'm not going to do that. My responsibility is just to keep it truthful and be honest with you guys. He's had great starts, but he's just... You, there's no one out there that could say he's been great in the postseason. That's just not factual. Okay. But like I said, he has the best regular season ERA in the modern era at 248. Aaron Rodgers, best QBR in the regular season. Both have one World Series title, should have been more. So, like I said, it's complicated. He's still one of the GOATs. There's no doubt about that. And hopefully, I if I had one wish to the baseball gods who have been so cruel to Clay and Kershaw at times throughout the years, just give him another really good start and have him go out there and produce and give an opportunity to prove that uh, that's not the last we're going to see, because that was a rough, rough watch. But uh, I want to dive in the comment section, get your thoughts on Clayton Kershaw. We got boomer assassin. He was terrible. And I believe he's injured. Yeah. Boomer assassin. I agree. I think most players at this stage of their careers, they would call it a career. They would say, okay, I'm a first ballot hall of famer. I made almost $300 million in my career. I have nothing to prove to anyone. I'm a multi-tie Cy Young award winner. I've won an MVP. I'm just going to call it a career, but no, through sheer grit, through sheer determination and competitive fire, he still continued to pitch. It's just a matter of him finding a way to lock in on that command. These players have control of their destiny. If you can't keep your food down. Okay. Michael Cortez, um, Let's go down here to check out some other ones. Uh, Brandon, I belched, I bleached his jersey and washed it twice after the loss. I hope that helps. Yeah, Brandon, that definitely should do the trick. Nando, if he's injured, then why pitch when you already suck in October? Nando, 390. I mean, that's pretty harsh right there, but like I said, let's not act like all of Clayton Kershaw's starts have been bad. He's basically had 
10 to 11 great starts in the postseason. That's more than most pitchers ever have. It's just the fact that he's been on a great team that's made the postseason 11 straight years. There's going to be your bad starts in there. I mean, if Clayton Kershaw had put together his regular season, let's say this, let's flip the script here. Let's say if Clayton Kershaw is on the angels, right? And Clayton Kershaw is like the pitcher version of Mike Trout. You wouldn't have this conversation. It'd be like, oh, poor Kirsch never got those opportunities. He's the greatest ever. And Artie Moreno never put a team around him to have a chance. But no, Mike Trout, we don't know how Mike Trout is deep in the postseason. Could be the same. So it's the whole man in the arena theory, right? He is the man in the arena. At the very least, he's failing on a big stage when he does. And he has had his moments. But we got uh, big time Bobby going to crush tonight. That's from Nerds. Kershaw will retire after this year. Guarantee that's from Mike M., Eduardo Dodgers must win tonight. If not, series is over. Can't go 0-2 with a potential Lance Lynn start in Arizona for game three. That's from Eduardo Yanez. Yeah, I mean, look, that is where we're going to pivot to next, okay? Because they can still win this series. The Dodgers should still win this series. And what is going to be the biggest key? So let's break down those keys right now. How can the Dodgers get back on track, get in the win column, find a way to split this series heading into Arizona where they're at a spot where they've had success. You're going to have plenty of Dodgers fans. There can still celebrate in that pool, right? If you go out there and win both those games and essentially if you win this game, you I mean, you can still see Bobby Miller twice in this series, right? And that's the thing too, with Kershaw going in game four, if he doesn't have success, you still have Bobby Miller in game five. If it gets to that, right? If you go out there and we're able to win some games. So number one key, you got to get the offense going. You got to get to Zach Gallon. And look, you understand that. Yeah, sure. The offense was bad in game one. There's no doubt about that, but you're down six to nothing at that point. It's very difficult to manufacture rally. You got guys trying to get all back in one swing. Then you got to chip away at a potential at that lead to try to give yourself a chance, but you got to get to Zach gallon. And I think you got to play to your strengths. Look, the Dodgers biggest strengths are their offense and their bullpen, right? And first let's start with the offense because the offense this year against Zach gallon, they slashed 341, 420, 659 in four home runs. He had a 990 ERA and two starts, 10 innings of work. So they've had success against Zach gallon and Look, this is a Dodgers offense that they were second behind the Braves in runs scored OPS home runs. Okay. There's no reason why this Dodgers team should not be scoring runs. So definitely want to see him get to Zach gallon early and often trying to get into that bullpen. So it puts you in a better position to win game three with a Ryan Pepio, a first time starter or a Lance Lynn out there on the mound. Now, next big key. I see everyone out there. They always say the same thing every postseason about why the Dodgers aren't winning. It's they have to hit with runners in scoring position. You have to come through with timely hits, clutch base hits with runners in scoring position. Yeah, that's true. You don't want to strand a small village out there, but guess what? To hit with runners in scoring position, you have to get runners in scoring position. So the next big key is get runners in scoring position because look in game one, only six times, only six opportunities with runners in scoring position in game one. During the regular season, the Dodgers let all of Major League Baseball with 1,751 plate appearances with runners in scoring position. That's 11 per game. Game one, just six opportunities right there. Okay, so you got to come through the runners in scoring position, but you also have to get runners in scoring position. How do you do that? You got to get base hits. You got to take your walks. And I didn't like the at-bat quality in game one. I did like the double from David Peralta. And before we get into our next key, I want to talk about this for a quick second. David Peralta, he's able to get a double for the Dodgers and try to get something going. I talked to Dave Roberts earlier in the series about how the bottom third of that lineup was better equipped to have success this time around. And already we have a double from David Peralta. Now I just want to kind of go through this tweet that I saw over on Twitter where someone tweeted that this is hilarious. They said, this is a hilarious to do down nine. You saw David Peralta. He hits that double. He's doing the Freddie. Of course you got to do it to the dugout. You got to do it to the bullpen. People were clowning this. People were saying, okay, Dodgers down nine and they're doing the Freddie. What's up with that? David Peralta. What the hell is he supposed to do? Okay. All those commenters down below. That just tells me you're a loser. Okay. That just tells me that you don't believe in yourself down nine, nothing. Okay. What are you supposed to? It's the second inning. 
Okay. It's the second inning. You can do that in the second inning. That's a way to try to spark this Dodgers team. You're telling me this Dodgers team, like I said, first Dodgers team to score over 900 runs since the franchise relocated to Los Angeles from Brooklyn is a team that is one of the best Dodgers offenses in history. Maybe outside of the 1953 Brooklyn Dodgers that are the gold standard when it comes to Dodgers offenses. This is one of the greatest offenses in history. You got Merrill Kelly on the mound, a guy that the Dodgers have had success with. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely what you do in that situation. Fire up the troops, get them going. I had no issue with David Peralta doing the Freddie there. If it's the ninth inning, right? If it's the ninth inning and it's two, nothing it's it's, if it's the ninth inning and there's two outs and he hits a double, then maybe, yeah, maybe you save the Freddie for another day and you just kind of stay on second base and wait for the game to end. But the second inning, I have no issue at all whatsoever. And before I jump to my next key, I want to hear from you guys. Do you guys think that David Peralta doing the Freddie in that situation is the, is, is the, uh, is an issue there. What do you see? I like that Peralta did the Freddie. That's from boomer assassin. Yeah. I have no issue with the Freddie from Rebecca 20, nothing in the first thing and celebrate with the Freddie. Yeah, absolutely. We got taco King one, two, only three first innings. I don't want stuff. He's going fast. Oh, he got, uh, all these fake Dodgers fans need to get off the bus. A uh, live says you can do the Freddie and get your lineup going and the crowd. The Dodgers can boost six runs an inning and they have done it before. Absolutely. I have no issue with doing that. Do the Freddie. I'm glad he did it. This is David Peralta, a guy that spent eight and a half years with that Diamondbacks organization, a guy who had less than 20 postseason plate appearances before the series. Have your fun. Do the Freddie. So, like I said, I just want to get out that off my chest because all these baseball fans are all clowning the Dodgers for that. I think that that was the perfect thing to do in that situation. But uh, next big key, the next big key, how the Dodgers can get back in this series. So we already ran down two. get to Zach Gallon, get this offense going, but two, not just hit with runners in scoring position, get runners in scoring position. Now three is find a way to win without hitting a home run. Okay. You have to find a way to win without hitting a home run. And yes, a wise man, me once said, if you want the dub, you've got to slug. Absolutely. And you win in the postseason by slugging 80% of the time. When you outslug your opponent, you win in the postseason. but sometimes you got to use those different clubs in your bag. When the offense doesn't have it going, you have to find a way to manufacture it just to get the slug back on track. Sometimes a base it here, a walk here, situational hitting here can lead to those big crooked number innings. And you do that by finding a way to manufacture runs. In fact, the Dodgers this season, they won 87 and 39 the regular season when they hit at least one home run. That's a 690 win percentage. When they didn't leave the yard, they went 13 and 23, a 361 win percentage. Okay. The Dodgers had three home runs against Zach Gallon in his first 10 career starts. It's 59 and third zings of work. That goes all the way back to 2019, but they hit four home runs off of him on August 28th. So the Dodgers hit four bombs off of Zach Gallon. By the way, if you want to do this that way, I'm totally fine. Let's go home. We're happy. Let's absolutely obliterate them with the long ball. I'm fine with that. But they hit four home runs off of Zach Gallon on August 28th. Freddie Freeman, Max Muncy, Jason Hayward, and James Alvin. So, hey, there you go. That's all lefties. All lefties hit bombs off of him back on August 28th. So I would not be surprised tonight to see an early home run from a Max Muncy, maybe a James Altman who wants to get that misplay, that misreading game one off his chest. Jason Hayward's hit the ball hard all season long. Freddie Freeman, he's a perfect player. Okay. Like I said, baseball's version of fine wine. He's going to do, he's going to go up there and try to have good at bats. If that happens, it happens. But the Dodgers did a home run, hit a hit a home run in game one. They also have not hit a home run in either of their last two losses in the NLDS. So last year, the NLDS in San Diego, they did not hit a home run. The last time the Dodgers won a postseason game without hitting a home run, it's all the way back in game five of the 2021 NLDS when they beat the San Francisco Giants two to one there in game five up in their house. So they have not won a postseason game without leaving the yard since 2021. So find a way to win a game without a home run because I think that will serve you better later in this series later in this postseason to find a way to win without relying solely on the long ball. But Hey, if you want to hit five home runs tonight, go crazy. I'm fine with that. I just need the dub any way I can get it. So there you go. You got, we'll find a way to win without a home run. Next key, next big key. Let the bullpen shine. I cannot emphasize this enough. 
this might be the best bullpen in the Andrew Friedman era. That is how talented they are. When you look at the big five, when you consider experience, talent level, when you consider their ability to get out really good hitters in really big spots, this bullpen has it all. You got a flamethrower in Joe Kelly, throwing harder than he's ever had, missing more bass than he's ever had, striking out, potencing hitters at a higher clip than he's ever had. He's really the best version of Joe Kelly, potentially. Ryan Brazier having a great year. Ruzar Gratterall having a career year. Evan Phillips, one of the best relievers in the league. You got Shelby Miller. When you talk about the big five right there, they are elite. So you have to play to your strengths. That is what the bullpen is. And that is what I want to see. Because look, you look at the way this, this entire NLDS is scheduled. And I forgot who pointed out in the comments earlier that said that you could lean on your bullpen in a game four. And Dave Roberts has already said he's going to manage this series like it's game seven. Every day like it's game seven, right? And if that's going to be the approach right there, I would have no issue with that when you consider the fact that you got three days off in a five-game series and, you know, Kershaw already got chased in game one. So outside of Shelby Mill, you have all of your top-end guys. So get that bullpen the opportunity. Give them the chance to show what they're capable of doing that. Give them a lead. Give them three, four innings, possibly five from your starting pitchers and let them do the rest. And then the next big key, they're going to need Bobby to be big time. Okay, they're going to need Bobby to be big time. Okay, that is something that they need. Clayton Kershaw, he's a classic car, man. He's a classic car that has the check engine light on, and they're still letting him pitch with that check engine light on. He's leaking oil right now. Bobby Miller, he's fresh. He's right out the lot. He's Bugatti Bobby, man. This guy has everything you could ever want from an ace-level starting pitcher in the postseason. High velocity, commands five pitches, changeup, slider, curveball, cut. I mean, singer, anything that you could ever want. His arsenal is so deep. He's got such a deep bag, and they need him to be big. They can't have him go out there and struggle. And the number one key for Bobby Miller to have success and be effective is just stay calm and stay composed and stay in the moment. Because with his stuff, he has the margin for error. You're not going to see this Diamondbacks offense swinging at every pitch against Bobby Miller like they were against Clayton Kershaw. They're going to try to work that count. They don't want to see him out there on the mound. His stuff is that electric, and that's what they're going to want to do. Now, Bobby Miller, he faced Arizona twice during the regular season. He held them to four runs in 12 innings. First start was really good. The other start, though, the Dodgers, they won seven to four. He gave up four runs, though. He gave up a home run to Moreno on a four-seam fastball. He left a little out over the plate. So watch out for Moreno because Moreno is a big difference maker for them. Earlier in that game, he gave another double to Moreno on a slider middle of the plate. So that's the matchup I'm looking at in this one. Moreno, three-run home run there in game one. Has had success in Bobby against Bobby Miller in his career. You have to try to neutralize Marte and Corbin Carroll and Christian Walker. But look for Moreno. To me, that's the X factor for them as far as their guy that can step up. And when he plays well, they win games. It's that simple. We got Plunk Moreno from Mike Saldana out there. We got... Uh, you have some more comments, but uh, yeah, no, honestly, I think that Bobby Miller is built for this moment. I talked to him a few days ago about how cool it was to have him and all these other young pitchers breaking in around the same time. And it feels like that there is a changing of the guard. It truly feels that way. Even with Walker Bueller returning, are they going to extend Walker Bueller? Probably not. That's not what this organization does, right? Julio Arias, we know he's gone. Bobby Miller could be the Dodgers opening day starter for the next decade. That's how good he is. That's how talented he is. And this is a great opportunity for him to step up and be that next rookie pitcher that has an impact for the Dodgers. We've seen it. Look at 1959. We're talking about that. Larry Sherry. He wins that World Series MVP, right? You look at guys like Fernando Valenzuela in 1981, Walker Buehler in 2018. This organization has a long, decorated history of having their young pitchers perform. And I think Bobby Miller is going to be the next one. As far as his pitch mix, one thing I'm looking for specifically when it comes to that mix is the improvement of that four-seam fastball in the zone, especially up in the zone, and his ability to get swing and miss. In his start against the Rockies, he had nine punch-outs. Six of those nine came via that four-seam fastball. You've seen the changeup improve. You're seeing more swing and miss with the changeup, and that is such an important pitch. That really is his best pitch. The changeup, the slider has gotten better. So really, the number one key for Bobby Miller is breathing is living in the moment, is not letting the moment get too big for him. We saw a couple examples this season where 
he struggled in big moments. I mean, you look at the start against the Giants where the Dodgers lost 15 to nothing. It was, I was at that game. It was in the middle of, middle of June. I think it was in July, actually. And they only lose 15 to nothing. And in that game, he struggled with walks, hit a batter, and Lamont Wade hits that home run. On that pitch, Lamont Wade, he just tried to squeeze that curveball and boom, he gives the home run. What did Kershaw say? You can't hold that ball too tight. And I think that has to be the mentality for Bobby Miller. And then also, you want to look at his ability to kind of get, be efficient, right? Go give them as much length as you possibly can, but just worry about just keeping yourself composed and focused and the rest is going to take care of itself for other guys out there that aren't as talented as Bobby Miller. Yeah. They're going to be worried about executing pitches. He can execute pitches as long as he's, he's focused. Like what Greg Max used to say, don't try to make perfect pitches. Try to make good pitches, right? Try to make perfect pitches. It gets you out of the league. Trying to make good pitches gets you in the hall of fame. It's all about win. What's important now that has to be the number one key for Bobby Miller. So if the Dodgers do those five things, I'm confident they win this game and they win this series. One play to your strengths. That is get this offense going. I'm looking at guys like Mookie Betts. I'm looking at guys like Freddie Freeman and Max Muncie and JD Martinez. Hey, there's too much talent on this team to not produce Will Smith. My MVP for the series. Well, he's the only guy that showed up so far, right? David Peralta had a nice dough, but this offense, you need to wake up. Okay. This is not a seven game series this is a five game series. You don't want to be joining the Padres in Cancun. We don't want to see Dodger stadium turn into a spirit Halloween superstore. No, we want to play in the NLCS. So to me, those are the big keys, get the offense going, get runners in scoring position. Don't just focus on hitting with runners in scoring position, get runners in scoring position, and then find a way to win without hitting a home run. Get the offense going. Let the bullpen shine and get a strong start for Bobby Miller. And I think this team wins tonight. You split the series and you got the momentum back heading into game three. Now, my next topic I want to get into. Actually, let's dive here down below in the comment section. Give me your predictions for Bobby Miller tonight. Give me your predictions for Bobby Miller here. I got Bobby Miller going five innings tonight. I got Bobby Miller going five innings and getting six strikeouts, six punchies for Bobby big time. It's big game Bobby Miller time is here. It's Bobby's world. This guy is special. The Dodgers have themselves a top 10 pitcher that without the injuries this year, without some of the issues they would have had, right? They fast tracked their way to an ACE, but DMAC, how do you feel about Kerr starting game four? Boomer, we talked about that one. So if you want to rewind a little bit, but at the end of the day, they don't have too many options. And if you get to a game four, we're talking about Bobby Miller. At least you have Bobby ice, 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 Bobby there in game five. They were on every pitch only way is sign stealing Mike Saldana. I don't look, these are big league hitters. Okay. I mean, I don't think that was the case. I truly just don't believe that, but Hey, anything's possible. No rum punches in Cabo with Tatis. That's from Rebecca taco King says it's a Halloween store. M says, don't let it get to our head. It was just game one. Yeah. It's just one game. And look at the rest of the, the teams. Look at all these teams that won their division. The three teams that won a hundred games, they all lost the Dodgers, the Orioles, and the Braves. The three teams that won 100 games, their offense was ice cold. They forgot how to baseball. Okay, that offense did not show up. If you have seen the Dodgers offense, please return them to Dodger Stadium today, preferably before first pitch. But we got Hope Springs Eternal. The offense slept last year. Also, they went cold and lost again against the Padres. Yeah, that to me, look, there's a lot of pressure on this Dodgers offense. And it's a different world in the postseason. It is more difficult. The stakes are higher. The pressure mounts when you're playing in the postseason to simplify it. When you're in the postseason, you're playing better teams, better teams have better players with better pitchers. I think one thing I haven't really heard people discuss is the fact that the Dodgers have essentially one ace, whereas the Diamondbacks, you're basically pitching with two frontline starters. That is an advantage. And you can use both those guys in four of these five games with the days off. So that definitely plays into the favor of the Arizona Diamondbacks, but we got um, Mookie bull. We got to Mookie needs to wake up. That's from prone to the real. Yeah. I think Mookie absolutely needs to put his stamp on this series because the way this team goes, Mookie goes when Mookie does not score a run in the postseason, they have a win percentage of less than 400. He is absolutely the catalyst. He is the guy that gets this team going. If he's not getting on base, this team struggles to generate offense. So I agree with you 100%. Get Mookie on base and have him 
really get things started for this Dodgers offense and just start to pass that baton like we've seen. Game four, bullpen game, Bobby, ace through six. We got to six innings, seven strikeouts. Bobby Miller going six innings, eight Ks, one earned run. Yeah, I think Bobby, I think I like one earned run there. I Let's say I'll go, I'll go five hits. Five hits, one earned run, two, maybe two, but I'll go. Let's just let's let's go positive, right? It's so early, right? We got Bobby Miller will prove he is going to be a postseason pitcher tonight. Yeah, look, some guys are built for this, man. Some guys are built different. I think Bobby is someone where the adrenaline, the pressure is actually going to help him. I just think this guy has that FU mentality out there on the mound. He knows that's his mound. He knows he's going to intimidate and find a way to get hitters out. I think that's going to be the case tonight. But Bobby goes six shutout innings. Five innings for Bobby and nine Ks, one run. Six innings for Mr. Miller and eight Ks. That's from Joe Mama, Victor Banos. Uh, Miller, six innings, eight Ks, one and run for the W. Salute dime. We got to Bobby Miller, three and two thirds innings, five runs, four Ks, and an LS from Dustin Dugan. I don't know if you're a Dodgers fan that's a little hurt right now or a Diamondbacks fan, but uh, appreciate you commenting either way. I'd be stroking hashtag Bobby's World going six strong, six hits, two runs. I'd take that. Sean Castellano. We need a D-Mac and Clint Bobblehead. That'd be pretty cool. A Taco King, five innings, 10 runs. Oh, we got to, here we go. This is from a super chat here from my man, Danny Limon Jr. We got to D-Mac. Give a shout out to Sophie Sam, number one Dodgers fan. What up, Sophie Sam? By the way, I met a lot of you guys at the stadium and I thought that was really cool, man. So appreciate you guys watching the show. And uh, great to talk ball with you guys at Dodger Stadium. That that was really cool and uh, really appreciate. But a uh, couple more here. We got look at Trey Turner now. He's such a liability. My goodness, Mister Classic. He's actually been balling. Uh, we got uh, six innings, three earned runs, eight K. So it feels like the consensus here is that Bobby Miller is going to have himself a good start. I think that's going to be the case. I think that he is absolutely ready for this opportunity. And I think just look at his debut in the regular season. He goes into Atlanta, faces that offense, has success. Just look at everything that he's done this year. And all the numbers will tell you that he's been consistent. The strikeouts are actually up. The swing and miss is actually up. He's gone from a pitcher. He gone from a thrower to a pitcher before our eyes. And I think he's going to have a great start. But I'm going to catch up with you guys later at the stadium. So be on the lookout for that. We're doing a pregame show live from the field at Dodger Stadium. So be sure to tune in for that. and. We'll be around after the game two from Dodger Stadium. So it's going to be a busy day, a long day. You need this win. Okay, you. this is, failure is not an option. I just want to throw that out there. Failure is not an option. The Dodgers cannot lose to an 84-win Diamondbacks team. Okay, that can't happen. Because if that does, we're going to have some conversations. We're going to have some conversations about stuff. And yes, you can point to the injuries. You can point to things that happen off the field. There's no doubt about that. But even with the injuries, the Dodgers are still the more talented team and there's no excuse. There's no reason why they should lose this series. I do think the layoff has hurt them, but still you got to play with the cards that you are dealt. But that's going to do it for this episode of Dodgers Dugout Live. My name is Doug McCain. You can follow me on X and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. And if you have not yet, if you have not yet, be sure to subscribe to the Dodgers Nation YouTube channel. We are doing tons of giveaways. We just gave away an authentic Mookie Betts number 50 jersey. It's valued over $350. We're doing more giveaways throughout the postseason, and you're eligible to win these giveaways as long as you are subscribed. Be sure to have those notifications on. Follow us on Instagram at Dodgers Nation and the X at Dodgers Nation. Let's get this win tonight. I'm going to throw out my predictions later. I'm not going to throw out those right now. I'm going to throw out my predictions later. And I'll give you guys more insight from inside that Dodgers clubhouse. So be sure to keep those notifications on. See you guys a little later. And uh, good luck trying to work today. So tell those bosses that I'm sorry because we're doing wall-to-wall Dodgers content all postseason long. That's going to do it. And until next time, think blue, bleed blue, and I'm out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.